Okay, everybody, welcome back to another post-game edition of Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown Hoya casual podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I'm here with NY Hoya, Howie Wachtel, and Nationwide Nolan. Guys, we just watched Georgetown defeat St. John's 97-94 in overtime to even their record at 3-3 three and three and get their first Big East win to go to 1-1. One and one. Um, Dante Harris, who we found out was starting about a minute before the game, led the Hoyas with 22 points. Javon Blair finished with 20. Kudus Wahab had 17 points and nine of the Hoyas' 10 blocks. St. John's was led by Isaiah Moore with 26. Um, five other st- or four other starters in double figures. There's a lot to unpack from this one. Howie, you haven't been here in a while. First impressions. So my first impression, and hi, Bobby, and hi, Nolan. My first impression is it felt like I was watching a Kenner League game. Yeah. And that we were watching the Tombs play. And it, you know, I'm watching a game taking place on McDonough. Uh, it just seems it was up and down the floor, oftentimes very little defense, uh, few adjustments. Uh, getting to see the freshmen get some run, wondering how this is going to translate when we play real teams. Uh, that said, it was a Big East basketball game. The last time we played St. John's, we lost in heartbreaking fashion in the Big East tournament after blowing a, a lead and probably at the end. And this time we won. It was hard to watch at times. It was painful. And at the same time, looking at guys like Dante Harris and TJ Berger, two players in the game who seemed to know what they were doing. Just sort of the the sense of basketball awareness they had was refreshing to see. Nolan. It was, uh, it did feel like a Kenner League game. I think with St. John's, it's just, and we saw this last year with these two teams where the games are just kind of all over the place. I mean, they both traded last year, blowing huge leads, letting the other team back in it. And they were within striking distance of each other. But again, I mean, Georgetown got down, what, 82-75 with two and a half minutes left. And it looked pretty grim at that point. And then you force overtime. And, well, St. John's forced overtime. But the big picture stuff I still like. I think Dante Harris, obviously, is the story, um, along with Wahab. And then you get eight pretty quality minutes out of T.J. Berger. and. I think just overall, it's a nice, I don't know if you'd call it a step forward, but to get a Big East win under your belt, um, to show the grit that you needed to come away with that win, to get it to overtime and and pull through in the end. Overall, it's a positive. There's certainly some negatives we'll get into, but uh, performance of Harris definitely stands out for me. Yeah, so... Before, you know, asked you guys, you know, what we liked, what we didn't like. I think, you know, we've all talked about Dante Harris already, what we liked. Um, how we last game felt like it was just yesterday. It was two days ago. We talked about how the minutes needed to probably be more 50-50 with the Harrises. Um, after tonight, I think they've probably got a switch. I don't think that this team can get to 97 points. And by the way, I don't think they're a defensive team that's going to strangle you, so they kind of have to score. I don't think you can have a seven-point night from Jamarco Pickett and survive it 
if you're not getting that kind of production from Dante Harris. Now he's our freshman point guard. There's going to be a lot of, you know, um, frustrating moments, but with this roster, is there any way that he plays less than, you know, 25 minutes a game going forward, just based on what the, what you can get out of him? Like, I, I just, I feel like he has to play. I don't think so. I, because really? the first, I mean, I, I think you're right in the sense that we can't have him play fewer than 20 minutes a game. I think he needs to be on the court. And yeah. I think the, the main reason for that is just after the sense I got after the first five games, especially after that Villanova game, is we have essentially one and a half ball handlers on, on the team, uh, and uh, which is to say I feel confident when the ball is in the hands of one and a half players. Dante Harris is one of those guys. Jalen Harris is, is sort of the half because he, he's, he can break a press. Um, he, he can distribute the ball, but sometimes he's just completely out of control. He turns the ball over a little bit, uh, a little bit much. Um, I, but those are essentially the, the two guys. I don't really have confidence in our other players to break a press or bring the ball up the floor. I'd rather have Blair coming off screens. Uh, you know, Blair has trouble penetrating uh Pickett has obviously had a number of problems doing the same. Bile clearly can't put the ball on the floor. Wahab can't put the ball on the floor. Don Carey is is he showed some flashes today, but again, I don't really see him in sort of a facilitating guard sort of role, even though he, I think he had five assists today and got some key baskets at the end. We need someone like Dante Car- Dante Harris, who was I, both Dante Harris and Berger were throwing skip passes today. Uh it, it was refreshing to see uh, guys like that sort of not committing silly turnovers and, and making smart plays. They just both appeared pretty heady. Nolan, I think I'll know what, I think I know what uh, you'll say. So let, let me switch here real quick. They had the feel of a Kenner league game. If the game had ended on Don Carey's, <laughs> if the game had ended on that, uh, I won't even say shot, I guess just sequence. Would that have been one of the crazier ends to a Georgetown game that you can think of? And possibly, you know, just, just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to say about it other than it was just total Kenner league. Well, yeah. I mean, that whole situation first, Ewing burned through the timeouts. I mean, he didn't burn through them, but the one that I thought was egregious was he uses the one at the start of the second half when St. John's went on a run, but you were already under 16 minutes. So next whistle, you're getting that timeout. And then you get in that last uh, 10 seconds. Somehow Blair ends up being the one bringing the ball up against pressure. He gets yeah. stripped. He's on the floor. I got really worried for a second there that he was going to try to call timeout. Um, but thankfully he got rid of it. And then they scramble. Somehow they score. Wahab sprints back, blocks the shot. Um, then again, Blair's falling down. Was worried he's going to try to call timeout. It's, yeah, I mean, the game should have ended there, but then the point nine gets back on the clock, and we have that whole ordeal. So with that, and both you guys can answer this, who do you blame most on the point nine score for St. John's? I made mention of this on Twitter. I know Howie's not a Twitter guy. Um, it looked like Wilson was going in for the first time all game for that Possession yeah. to um for the inbounder and then I think St. John's called timeout and then he didn't make it back out there so I guess the question is like do we blame Blair do we blame Ewing for who we put out there 
because what happened there just I mean the defense has been a problem since Ewing's been here but like that can't happen right before jumping on that sorry go ahead no I mean yeah that's just basketball 101 I mean baseline out of bounds you can't give up the basket um so I think just an overarching theme is that comes back to coaching where in that situation, it just can't happen. But specifically on the court, I think you have to put it on Blair just to allow his man to get that inside leverage and get to the baseline. I mean, Wahab was there. It's The pass got through because he was open. I mean, you'd like Wahab to be able to prevent that at 6'11", but it happened. So I, I lean more towards Blair there. I mean, if he forces his guy outside, you just got to chase around screens and what your man's going to get at best there is a catch and shoot from 20 feet was less than a second left. Yeah. It was almost like, I, I, I think Blair is a little bit more at fault for that one. I, I, it was almost like he was just waiting for him to sort of catch and shoot and didn't expect the possibility of a screen and have his guy run to the basket and just giving him that leverage just wasn't a good look for him. It didn't win. It didn't end well. And yet it almost felt inevitable. I yeah. I, I thought yeah. they would have hit a game-winning three, or I thought one of our guys would have fouled one of theirs. I didn't think it would be a wide-open layup under the basket, but it just seemed like something was going to happen. Uh, you know, and I think all Blair needed to do before he stepped out of bounds was literally throw the ball up in the air, and the clock would have expired. Yeah. I also think, you know, just getting to the play before, Don carries take after a broken play to, to put us up one uh one of my good friends reached out and said you know don carry doing his best nat burton impersonation which in I the arkansas game. yep and but but just how that play developed you know at the end of the second half and throughout overtime i thought it was mind-boggling that we had carry and blair bringing the ball up the court trying to break the press which again, Dante Harris was doing a perfectly service, like serviceable, better than serviceable job doing that. I just, I don't trust Blair or Carrie as much. And at least, at least with the ball, um, you'd rather have Blair coming off a screen and hitting those open threes. I mean, Blair is at his best when he's just a set shooter. And the same is true with Pickett. I'd rather not have the ball in their hands. I'd rather have them catching the ball off of screens and hitting open looks, but to have the the two of them bring the ball up the court, I'd rather have a combination of Harris and Carey rather than Blair and Carey, and that's either Harris. So one of the things I sent you guys was, you know, it's kind of what I, what I like to do is when did when did you decide the game was over? And obviously this one was hard because it seemed like there might have been, you know, there was there was I think twelve ties, fifteen lead changes, yeah. Um, for me, I was survive. I was very surprised and I guess impressed that Georgetown was able to come back from this sequence, which I thought for them was going to be completely backbreaking. Was you're down one, Blair went to the hoop, he got fouled, he shoots almost ninety percent from the line, he misses them both. On the second one, on the rebound, Belay gets called for probably a pretty weak foul, but. He got called for a foul. St. John's is in the one-and-one. They make both. So you go from likely, like I said, with Blair being such a good free-throw shooter, up one to down three, and then it turned into down seven pretty quick. Stunning that they came back from that. Did you guys have a point? And actually, I also wrote down, too, 
just the way the game started so frenetically and before that we knew Dante Harris was going to be up for the task, I was like, this is probably going to be a game where, you know, not having enough enough point guards is going to really, really hurt you. Yeah, for me, I mean, when it was 82-75, it kind of felt hopeless. But when you're playing St. John's, it's, <laughs> they're going to leave the door open for you. I mean, and that goes either way here. If Georgetown had a lead, they were going to have a chance to get back in it. Yeah. Um, but really not until that final buzzer in overtime. Because then <laughs> the way they approach that sequence, they decide to foul um, when St. John's inbounded it. And to me, I – just don't view this team as being I was very against that idea yeah as just the level of basketball IQ in some spots out there and just their ability to handle that situation and then of course they don't block out and St. John's does have a chance at the end but Wahab comes through with a block um, even though he whiffed on the on the box out so it was I mean from tip to the end it's I don't know. I never really hit a point where I thought it was over. Yeah, I mean, your your call out though. I think for me that was a turning point. That would have been the turning point in the game had we lost. Yeah, uh, Blair Blair missing two free throws, the foul that wasn't a foul, mm-hmm. and then it goes from us up one to, to very quickly down seven. I, I think, of course, I, I mean, look, the this isn't a great loss from St. John's perspective. <laughs> Uh, we would be devastated if we lost in this fashion. Blowing a seven-point lead in the last couple of minutes, blowing a four-point lead in overtime, uh, not not great. But listen, I guess give a little bit of credit. We didn't have a choice and needed to press, and the press was very effective. And it yeah. sort of makes you wonder, where has the press been in other games? Uh, given our struggles in half-court sets, maybe we should press a little bit more often. Uh, but you know, this is usually the case. It, it it happens with Louisville too. Like when you press a team that likes to press, sometimes you end up with a little more success than you expect. It, it looked like on on the on one of the on the pass on the possession where you know St. John's eventually scores with point nine. It looks like Pickett almost gets the pass there. You know, they they kept showing the replay um, when Pickett did get the one steal and he kicked it out to Blair in the corner. I remember being, you know, you got more time than this, but it worked. Um, what do you guys think about the way Javon Blair is kind of, tur- he's kind of turned from, you know, he takes 15 shots, 11 or three pointers today, his line, seven for 15, three for six from deep. I mean, I, actually, I wrote this down at one point. Life on the line. Do you want a Blair open three or do you want one of those little teardrops that he's kind of floating up there? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we talked about this, Bobby, where his shooting numbers, I mean, we've got a big sample of four years now. I mean, he did go three for six tonight from three, but overall, I mean, you're talking about a 33% shooter. And the teardrop seems to be falling lately. I will say now, whenever he does put the ball on the floor, before it was kind of a thing where you just hold your breath expecting the worst, uh, which isn't really the case anymore. I mean, he he's not going to he at least can take a couple dribbles, get into the paint, and he's under control. I mean, only one turnover tonight. He actually had five assists. But I think he's become more in control just offensively. And when he does get in the lane, I mean, that teardrop does seem to fall more often than not right now. 
Yeah, I'd still rather have him taking a wide-open three. I think the when he's at his worst is when he's bringing the ball up the court uh, and there's there's either no pass or, you know, only one pass and he ends up sort of at the top of the key and does his little step back three without any, any movement at all on offense. Um, I think his teardrop is, is sort of a nice addition to his repertoire, but at the same time, I just love to see him a little bit more coming off of screens and getting open looks rather than trying to create on his own. And I think what we've seen at least at the start of the big East play is unlike those first, um, four games of the season where he was he was getting all the shots he wanted I think now people are game planning around him he's our leading scorer and everyone knows what he does and everyone knows he prefers his left hand and so uh, you know he's gonna have to adjust and one one more thing about about Blair I will say this after committing six turnovers against Coppin State which is you know a low major he had one turnover against Villanova I'm sorry, zero turnovers against Villanova and one turnover tonight. So he's only got one turnover in Big East play, um, which I think, you know, you can, if he's not going to be an assist guy, which tonight he actually had five, but, you know, generally speaking, he's not that kind of player. You can, you can handle the way he plays if he's not turning it over. So I think after Coppin State, I was a bit concerned given the level of competition, but in, you know, basically 80 minutes in Big East play because he's almost played the whole time um, to, to go down to one is pretty good. I don't always do a great job of answering questions. We don't usually get a lot. I mentioned it today during the game, and I think it would be wrong not to get to a couple of them. We've already answered a few of them. So if you're listening, you already know that. Um, I think this is a pretty good one uh, at Rick and then just a bunch of numbers. It almost looks like a bot, but I don't think it is based on what he tweeted at me. Um, he says should, Sibley should be playing instead of Belay. Obviously, it's not really a question, more of a statement, but I will turn it to a question for you guys. What do you think? The second game in a row, we kind of got like a Sibley cameo in the first half. It made probably more sense against Villanova since they were, I think, up by almost 20 when he got in. Um, today was a little bit different, but the game was a little bit more frenetic. What do you think about the minute distribution between a grad student that right now has Georgetown's highest usage rate on Ken Palm versus a four-star incoming freshman that if Georgetown gets good in the next couple of years, will probably be part of it. Nolan. Well, it's, it's tough because Belay obviously it hasn't looked good so far. I'm just, I mean, you guys know how I felt about Sibley, at least, this early newest freshman year that there's just probably a long way to go there. And I mean, this was the same thing with the Harris's where, I mean, Patrick's had a chance to see these guys for a couple of months now and the freshmen were there until September. So I think this year more than ever, it's tough as a fan to say X should be playing over Y when, I mean, we didn't see Connor league. We obviously have no Intel on practices. So I have to imagine there's a reason there. What I was encouraged by is they just cut out the Eagle half eight minutes in total in the second half in overtime, which I would just prefer they go small. And if you have to steal minutes from Belay, um, the second half box, it's kind of what you want where he played seven to 20 minutes. And then you threw Berger out there with smaller lineups for eight minutes. Um, the only really confusing part for me tonight was Belay was out there when St. John's went on that late run over Wahab, which 
I just, I mean, that almost cost you the game. So I think now it's, I, I think you're in a situation where Sibley just has to earn it. If that's in practice or the little bit of time he gets, he's just got to show you something to make that switch because, I mean, Ewing, he's just going to lean towards a grad transfer. I don't think there's any way around that right now. Okay. Before you talk, Howie, let me just say real quick, like I said, Ewing doesn't really give away a lot in his press conferences. One of the things he did go out of his way to say, well, he wasn't really asked, but he did mention that he felt bad that he couldn't get Ego FA in the game more. So I think it's very clear <laughs> that he wants to play traditional lineups almost whenever possible. And tonight it wasn't. But I just I wanted to just put that in there because one of the things I had written down for don't like it was early when he gave Ego FA minutes that just it's just a really it's it's a big ask for him. Um, I I don't think he's a skilled enough big that Georgetown can take advantage of the mismatch they have on him offensively. It's not like they can just dump down and, well, we have a big guy you got to account for. I don't think he's at that stage yet. Um, But yes, that just made me think of uh, Ewing's comment. Um, Howie, if you can remember what we were talking about before I interrupted you, please go ahead. Yeah, Sibley versus Belay. I I mean, look, Belay looks and plays like a grown man. I mean, he, he's he's been around the college game for a long time, and I I like how hard he plays. Uh, I like how he goes after the ball. Um, he gets rebounds. He's he has his flaws. Uh, he he really struggles when he puts the ball on the floor. Uh, it, that happened in this game a couple of times, including when he was trying to make a move from the top of the key and had it and had the ball stolen from him. Um, I do like how hard he plays, though, and you know I think some of the things he does are things that can be corrected. Um, with Sibley, we just don't know what we have. I mean, he's he seems uh, he's young, he's raw, uh, you know, so it's it's really hard for us to evaluate him. And one thing I'll add, though, it looked like the one time we really went small and didn't have either Wahab or Eofa in the game is when St. John's went on the run at the end. And yeah. I, I noticed it, and then St. John's went on the run, and I was like, I guess that experiment didn't exactly work. Yeah. The I guess, one thing I would just add in there, I'm not sure if it's a Sibley thing as much as can Kobe Clark come back and eat into those minutes. That's personally what I would like to see, just because I, I believe a little bit more in him. Yeah. I. I think the idea of obviously, you know, we don't know what's going on in practice. The one thing that I'm a little concerned about is that, you know, we, yeah, we don't know, but I'll say this based on who is on this team and for however long they've been together, it's a little surprising to me. We saw the one shot, was it against Coppin state from Berger? And then we saw what he did today. I think it's surprising that based on your options that, coming into the season, it wasn't, well, like, you know, Berger has to play some. And I'm not saying it needs to be an extended amount of time, but looking at what you have, the fact that the decision has been made to not play him, I think is surprising and makes me wonder what other decisions have been made, you know, just based on they have more information than we do. But that one to me is kind of like, why? So um, getting right along with our questions. I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't think Berger was going to play a minute all season. Okay. I really, I, I didn't yeah. expect him to play at all. Um, I mean, I, 
I sort of just viewed him as, you know, the equivalent of a walk-on and hopefully he'd get a little bit of time in the Coppin State game, but, but that was it. So I sort of view him as a really nice surprise. I mean, coming in, all we knew was coach's son, uh, which means he understands the game and we knew he was a good shooter, even though it uh, uh, maybe might take a little bit of time for him to release the ball, but he looks fluid out there. I mean, obviously he, he still has a, a freshman body and, um, you know, needs to bulk up a little bit, but, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, his, his shots were good shots in rhythm. Uh, he threw a skip pass. He, he seemed to know what he was doing when he was out there. I'd like to see a little bit more of him, you know, maybe spelling Blair, um, just because, and we shouldn't, I don't, shouldn't make light of the fact that, I mean, you're right. I mean, Blair played basically every minute of this game. These guys must've been exhausted and, there's yeah. a lot of credit for playing as hard as they did throughout. I think of all the guys, I think Berger would have had the most hype coming out of Kenner League based on what we've seen in like 10 minutes now combined of action for the year. Yeah, like, you know, we knew he was a good shooter. The shot in the Coppin State game and the drive at the end of the shot clock was so composed that even in that whatever five-minute stretch he played, to me, I was like, you know, I felt... I'm surprised he hasn't gotten minutes on a team that's kind of offensively challenged um, in big spots. And then when you saw what he did today. So I think my guess is if he had been on the tombs, he would have had some games against, you know, what is it like WNA associates or uh, uh, Clyde's um, he would have had some games where, you know, he makes like 10 threes in a Kenner league game. Right. And it would have been harder when he wasn't playing in the beginning of the year, particularly losing the Navy and stuff when we'd had that, you know, we'd had that um, eyewitness accounts from Kenner League. Um, but I think after what we saw tonight, there's got to be, I mean, he already has as many threes as Steven Domingo did as a Hoya. Um, <laughs> which, you know, not great, not great. And we could do a whole, we could do a whole series on Steven Domingo. Um, he also, he's, he's one of the few guys we have who wasn't like the the biggest star on his high school team. I mean, he, yeah. he, he, he He's from West Town. He played for on a really good high school team, and he was he he was obviously one of the one of the better players on the team. But he's a role player, and he understands his role, and he's good at it. And it's it's nice to see that translating so soon into his freshman year in college. Okay, there's a lot of them that are kind of the same here. The second half and just how flat they seem to come out. You know, they were up. Georgetown was up two at the half. Um, St. John's came out on a 15 to four run. Obviously we know what Villanova did, but you know, Villanova's kind of Villanova. What do you think is happening or is there any, I guess, is there any like constant theme in either of you guys' eyes as to what's happening after halftime? I don't, I mean, I think St. John's unto itself, it's tough for me to sit here and say, well, lack of adjustments. I think it's easy to say, it's just easy to throw out that word adjustments when things don't go your way in the second half. But yeah. what St. John's doing is ain't different. I mean, St. John's is St. John's. It's Mike Anderson has been the same guy forever. They're going to do the same thing. There's no surprises. It's just a matter of matching that energy, that intensity. And I mean, and Donnie Marshall actually, he said it multiple times through the game. I mean, a game like that is just who makes the fewest amount of mistakes. I mean, the tempo is going to be off the charts. Neither defense is really all that great. So 
turnovers, the offensive rebounds. I mean, that's the stuff that adds up. And I mean, it almost cost you the game, at least offensive rebounding. So I think St. John specific coming out of halftime, it's just, you have to match their energy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I, and I, I agree with what Donnie Marshall said, even though I don't want to give him too credit because he also said Jamarco Pickett was one of the best shooters in the country. And he agreed that Dante Harris had a little bit of Allen Iverson in him. Um, so that, that said, I don't know what it is either. And I, I don't, I, there's nothing specific, specific that I noticed that would indicate we didn't make adjustments coming into the second half, but this happens all the time. I mean, this is, this, this seems to be a regular occurrence where, and I, I don't have the research in front of me, but I just feel like the first five minutes of second halves in the last few years have been particularly brutal for us. Um, I, I think in this case, it was more, you know, St. John's doesn't shoot a lot of threes. St. John's just puts the ball on the floor and attacks the basket and gets to the free throw line. We don't, you know, th- I, I think one of the biggest issues we're going to have throughout Big East play is I think it's going to be really rare where we shoot more free throws than our opponent because we don't have, I mean, like Akinjo and McClung would take the ball to the basket. And this would be the last time I mentioned them, I promise. But, and they had horrible shooting nights in their last games. Don't the worry. There's something coming up later where I have to talk about that. But those, those guys knew how to get to the line. St. John's has a bunch of guys who could just put the ball on the deck and can draw contact and go to the free throw line. We don't, as I said before, we don't really have guys like that. Dante Harris, maybe the best one and he shot a lot of free throws today and that was encouraging and hopefully that continues but I think St. John's just attacked as they usually do I don't think they did anything different in the second half we just we stumbled as as we tend to do so when I first put it up about more when I, when I first put out the uh, bat signal for questions you know, a lot of them came through with the same old stuff of, you know, who's the next coach and why can't they recruit locally? So, um, you know, God bless you. If you asked about those questions, I don't think this is going to be the time that we get to those, but I don't want to discourage future questions coming from you. So if you asked one of those, try and ask something more game specific. Um, Georgetown's got a week off and we get to watch part two of this, would you say you are excited or are you going to be doing, are you going to be having some uh, holiday stuff that you have to get to? They, they have, I have to give them credit. I was really worried they wouldn't be competitive in the Big East season, yeah. uh, but we've seen enough in the West Virginia, I mean, out of conference, but then throwing the Villanova, you know, first 35 minutes on top of this one, it's gone better than I thought it would. I mean, if we could erase that Navy game, um, it wouldn't look so bad. But I think at this point, you know what you're getting out of these two teams with Anderson and Ewing. It's going to be a wild game. Um, I mean, last year, like I was saying, those games were all over the place. I mean, you blew them out the first time, but they kind of came back a little bit. Second game, you rallied from... I think 17 or 18 down and they, they did the same view in the Big East tournament. And now you have tonight's game, which was a total mess. So I don't know if you call it entertaining, but it's, it's something. 
I mean, look, we had a chance to win all of these games. Like, in a, <laughs> I don't want to say we could be 6-0, and but we we had leads against West Virginia and Villanova with under five minutes to go. We, um, you know, we probably shouldn't have lost that, that game against Navy. But that said, I, I wouldn't say I'm, ex- I wouldn't say I'm excited. Uh, I would say I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated. I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing some of these freshmen, some of these younger guys contribute. That's what I'll say. Um, yeah. It, it was nice to see Harris, Dante Harris and Berger out there. Uh, you know, it was nice to see Sibley getting some run and it was nice to see us getting a win. Uh, I just, I think the thing that frustrates me is these St. John's Georgetown games are just, they just, they just look like pickup games. They just, they look like pickup games that have very little structure or flow. And, and maybe that's why it felt like the counter league and also because it was played at McDonough, but, I I am the thing. Maybe one of the things that concerns me the most, aside from you know the the constant uh, you know weak perimeter defense numbers over the last few years, although that that didn't affect us today because St. John's didn't really shoot a lot of threes. It's it's just we never change our pace. Like we we have one pace and that's extremely freaking fast, no matter what the situation is, and it doesn't matter if we're up 18 against Villanova. We're just going to run and push the ball. We're just going to move and push. And I, I don't like. I get the idea that for certain teams you want to speed them up, and our half court sets aren't always great. So we want to, you know, be the be the one that's more athletic and running. But against St. John's, like, do we want to speed them up too? A team that tries to speed everyone everyone up. It's just I, I'd like to see adjustments on like the the way we play, although maybe that's just uh, inevitable because we struggle in the half court. I will say this about returning the matchup with St. John's. It probably gives Georgetown their best and only chance to at some point this season have a winning record in the league. Um, Ewing in the regular season now against St. John's is six and one as coach. He has lost both games in the Big East tournament. So, you know, I think he's got 20 wins in the Big East. Six of them are against St. John's. So that probably gives you your best chance. Um, Two years ago, they lost by the same score, 97-94 in overtime. And that was the first time Georgetown had lost a home game to St. John's since 2003. Does anybody want to guess the starters from that 2003 game? Howie, if you don't know or don't listen, uh, a constant theme is talking about Eshrick era Hoyas. So you're asking the last time we lost to St. John's was in 2003? Well, they've they, they've won 14 of the last 15, so the yeah. loss in 2019. But before that, Georgia had won, thir- tw- had won 12, 12 in a row. So they, they lost a game in January yeah. 03. Yeah, that was the that was the Marcus Haddon game, right? Where we blew a lead at home, and then they came on strong in the second half. I feel like Marcus Haddon was on that. Well, and then we lost to them in the NIT finals too. Yeah. Um, if it was two thousand three, so did we lose? Maybe we lost twice because I think we we definitely lost them in the NIT finals. And I'm, I'm only talking about three home games. Home games. So. 
yeah, that was Marcus Hatton went off. And uh, what do you want to know? The starters on that team? Yeah. You had four in double figures, and then you had a guy with nine, and then a guy with nine off the bench. So Gerald Riley was on that team. Yeah, he started. Uh, Tony Bethel? He started, yeah. Drew Hall? Drew Hall came off the bench. He had nine, though. Um... Um, you gonna fill in Nolan? Uh, it's got to be Bowman, right? Yeah. You guys yeah. are missing oh, the, lead, the leading scorer. Bowman and Ashanti Cook. Sweetney. Sweetney. Oh, well, and obviously Wilson. Sweetney. Yeah. Sweetney and Wilson. Wesley Wilson. Yeah. Oh yeah, it always comes back to Wesley Wilson. <laughs> um, big big picture. When you know watching that game and the way St. John's plays, and obviously we've compared it to high school, we've compared it to pickup. I don't think, no, I'm sorry, we haven't compared it to high school, we've compared it to like pickup. Do you think the Georgetown fan base would like if that's how the Hoyas played? I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, and I think Anderson has an issue. I mean, we've talked about maybe the game going away from guys like JT3 or Ed Cooley who have. I don't want to say outdated offensive systems because the Princeton's kind of had a little bit of revival with, you know, you watch Richmond use it, their modified version. But I think with Anderson, I mean, when you just sell out and try to press all the time like that, I think it's become increasingly difficult just because teams play smaller, they play with more skill. And it's just, I think it's a tough way. Um, I think you hit the ceiling uh, pretty quickly with that. Yeah, I I hate it. I think it's, it's too much of a course. <laughs> I, I think it's too much of a course correction from, you know, the JT three days. Yeah. Um, to go from the, you know, the deliberate plotting Princeton offense to, you know, full court pressing and just running them down the floor with reckless abandon. There's just not enough discipline, and I, I'd I'd want something in between. Can I tell you guys about my Twitter issue last night? Please. Okay. So I'm watching college football. I love college football. On the bottom scroll, I see a Texas Tech score. I know the game before the Georgetown transfer that plays for them had struggled. So like everyone, I have a phone. I look at the box score real quick. I see he struggled again. I look at his game log. I said it's three bad games in a row. I literally tweet out his stat line: five for twenty-eight last three games. I you can it's it's you know it's out there. Like I I didn't say anything else. I just said this is his stat line. I don't even use his full name because there's crazy people that his I don't know if they're in his family, but he's got he's got crazy fans that all attack you. I just wanted to put that out there. And then I got I I get attacked from. A bunch of names that I noticed that, you know, people that tweet at me, Georgetown fans, followers, whatever, telling me, you know, get a life, you know, why are you obsessed with him, all these things. It was pretty annoying because I do like a weekly pick them and I had USC and they were kind of going up and down. They eventually covered, but that's neither here nor there. So I came back and I was like, well, look, you know, I need to, I'm just going to be cool about this. I'm going to like, just give my opinion. So I responded and I said, look, 
I think that there's value in following how the players that left the program, how they do. Do they stay the same? Do they improve? Do they go backwards? And here's the reason is because we don't have enough data points. It's not like Ewing came from, you know, he coached at Siena and made them really good. And now he's Georgetown's coach. And like, all we have is what he's done here. So I think one, you had so many transfers at once, which is really unusual. It's normal to have transfers. That's normal. Is it normal to lose like half your team? Not really. Okay. So, but I think that there's absolute value in like, you know, is McClung improving? Did Akinjo get better? What's LeBlanc up to? Not so much mm-hmm. about Alexander, but do you like do you think that there is value in value in like looking at these guys from afar and being like, wow, so and so got better at defense? And then you kind of look back at yourself and you say, what's happening here that it's not you know that it's not happening here, or is it just you know, oh my gosh, they left the team that I follow. I don't want to like know about them ever again. I I, I think it's the other way. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be good college players. I mean, they were on the track to be good college players here. Yeah. I don't think Sean Miller and Chris Beard are going to sprinkle some magic dust on them and they turn into anything that they weren't going to be here. I mean, you look at what the two of them are doing, they're both taking a ton of shots, not so efficiently. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's kind of who they are. Uh, well, see what LeBlanc does. Wade is really, Will Wade has really uh, talked him up about his ability defensively. I think he might actually make his debut tomorrow, so we'll see. But I I think it is worth following them to see how much they develop. I mean, if Mac went to Texas Tech this year and Chris Beer puts him on the ball at point guard and he suddenly takes off and looks like a legit NBA guard, you'd have to look at Ewing and say, what happened here? Why would you not why would you bring in Jalen Harris as a grad transfer to play point guard and not give him that chance? So, which isn't happening um, right. at Texas Tech. But just saying, if that were the case, yeah, you would look at Ewing and say, "Well, what's going on here?" So, you know, I, I don't think you just ignore him. I think there is something to take away from how they perform at their new schools for sure. I mean, I just look at their stats to. <laughs> to make myself feel sad basically <laughs> i think that's it i don't i don't think i take pleasure in w- when they have off nights um but you're right i mean akinjo and mcclung the last few games have not shot particularly well from the floor um but they've had a lot of assists they've been playing well and they will play well they're both good college basketball players i will say just to nolan's last point if no one really knows the reason why the ultimate reason why McClung transferred, but if it was because of the, the Jalen Harris signing, that would be really, really unfortunate. <laughs> um, but because it would be fun to have all of these guys and, and you mentioned a few of them, but even Antoine Walker, I like seeing him at Rhode Island. He, That's true. he plays well. He's a, he's a good player. That's true. Hey, before we get accused of, or at least I do, of being too negative, Ewing did mention, I don't think we've talked about a lot. So coming in tonight, Cutis had eight blocks on the season. He he had nine tonight. Uh, I believe it's the most since Alonzo Morning had a nine-block game. I'm sure he had a bunch of them, him and Mutombo. Um, Ewing mentioned himself. He said, that's the kind of night, that's a that's a morning Ewing-Mutombo line about, about Cutis. 
is he further along than either of you guys thought, or is this kind of about where, you know, obviously he's not going to have nine, nine block nights, but just the kind of solid defensive play from a center that, you know, I don't think between, let's see, uh, Omir, Jesse, I guess you can, do you throw in Trey morning? I'm just trying to go back and, you know, we have, you know, Georgetown hasn't really had a defensive presence in a long time, right? I mean, is, is Hibbert the last defensive center that you would be worried about on the Hoyas? I I thought Hopkins was solid, but not in a shot-blocking sense. I think yeah, okay. he just played solid defense. But I think Wahab, what's kind of taken me by surprise is he's further along offensively than I thought. I think his post-game, I mean, he's a legit option to throw it into now, which I wasn't sure he'd be there as a sophomore. Defensively, I think what's encouraging is he just has natural instincts as a shot blocker, which other parts of defense, it still feels like he has a long way to go, just positioning and just kind of reading the game that he really can improve in that regard. And if you can tie that in with just his natural ability uh, and timing as a shot blocker, you you really could have something there. Yeah, I think he's developed a lot in the offseason. I mean, I think here's a clear example of, you know, Ewing's impact on improving a big man's game he's i i think i think the hibbert the the comparison to hibbert is apt in the sense that hibbert was the last guy we truly had who impacted the other team's game plan just because of his big body in the middle and obviously wahab is not as tall but he's he's a really good defender and i love the way he runs the floor i think his offensive game is much more polished than it was last season uh, obviously, we we never see him shooting jump shots, and so I don't know if that's going to be something that he eventually adds that'll certainly make him a more um, desirable uh, uh, prospect for the next level. But at the same time, he's he's doing really well as a rim protector. He's doing really well around the basket, both on offense and defense. I think to Nolan's point, it's just he's got to pick and choose when he's going to going to block shots because. Oftentimes when he goes to help, it's the weak side rebounder who ends up doing something and that gets him into trouble. Well, the Hoyas just finished up a six game opening homestand at McDonough, which is a sentence. I mean, I couldn't imagine of ever saying in my life, but that's where we are in 2020. They do have a week off. This is exam week. They don't play like, as I said, until, Next Sunday, almost the exact same time slot, everything just an hour earlier. And in fact, you know what? If you don't tune in till 7.30, it's probably going to be about even. And you're probably going to get at least 20 more minutes of basketball, possibly 25.30. So that might not be the worst strategy if you're uh, if you're in a bit of a time crunch or if you have a favorite NFL team that's playing at four, you can probably end up you know getting both in. I, for one, am going to value the... Uh, the time off from Kente Corner, as it feels like we're doing a podcast every uh, six hours. Um, definitely want to thank you guys for coming on. Nolan, you've been on a lot. Um, there's there's still time slots open for next Sunday. I'll send out an email. Yeah. But um, if you haven't already done it, you should. If you've listened this far, you must absolutely positively already have been a subscriber. Subscribe, rate, all that cool stuff. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Bobby, just a quick shout out to my New York Football Jets for losing forty to three today. One step closer <laughs> to getting one, one step closer to getting Trevor Lawrence. That's really the 
the highlight of the year for me as a sports fan. They 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 almost screwed that up. They almost did. God bless Greg Williams. We should all raise a glass. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks so much. Until next time, we'll be right back here on Kente Corner. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye.